0: Hi, everybody. I'm Diane Brady. I'm here at the Founders Forum with Dr. James Pyer, who is the founder and CEO of Cambrian Bio. Nice to see you.
1: Hey, Diane. Nice to see you, too.
0: I want to go back to the very beginning because you had a venture fund that was involved in sort of helping scientists to basically commercialize what they were doing, right? So take us back to what did you want to be when you grew up because you have this fascinating company now.
1: Well. So it started for me on, um, I guess, a bit of a somber note. When I was a teenager, my grandfather died of cancer. Mm. And as I was watching him get sick and ultimately die, I decided, uh, or I observed that the treatments that he could get had really no chance of saving his life. Maybe just extending it a little bit. Yeah, in agony In agony, a, in too. agony right, in a, in a place of suffering. And at around that time, this was now to 20, 25 years ago, mm-hmm. um, we were just starting to make scientific breakthroughs in animals, right? Worms and flies, not even really mice yet, where you could change one gene one. This is after one, we'd
0: mapped sort of the. It was you know, right as that was yeah. happening,
1: right? Right as we were sequencing the genome, mm-hmm. we were getting all of these new tools to do molecular biology for the first time in living organisms. And we could change one gene and double the lifespan healthy lifespan of an animal. And I was like, that's the future. Not just waiting for someone to get sick and then trying to deal with a complex disease like cancer, but preventing it.
0: Which would take somebody into helping. medicine, but not necessarily into finance and venture funding.
1: That's fair. And so, yeah, so I spent my first the first part of my career as a PhD scientist, right? right doing research in mice. And what happened in this field is that people would make these discoveries where you could extend healthy lifespan in an animal. And then the big investors and pharma companies would say, well, you can't run a clinical trial for aging because aging is not a disease. Right. And so go back to your labs and play with your mice. And I said, that can't be right because this field that was making all of these discoveries, they were doing something so impressive. They were preventing cancer and muscle weakness and, metabolic decline and dementia, all at the same time mm-hmm. with one tweak. And I was like, there has to be a way to turn that into a drug. And that's how what got me into the finance side of the game. So I left academia, started this venture firm, which was Apollo the first Ventures. group, which called Apollo Health Ventures, which was the first group to help scientists that had made a discovery about aging biology, turn that into a company. And that worked so well, I got to do not just a, an early stage venture firm, but I got to create Cambrian, which is itself kind of like a combination of an early-stage VC fund and a pharma company that can help those scientists not just take the first step going out of the lab, but actually take the follow-on steps to turn that discovery into a drug and now do human clinical trials.
0: So you're doing so many cool things at but I want to unpack a little that transition from being a um, PhD scientist to a venture capitalist. How did you do it? Because did you have access to a lot of capital? Did you go to Silicon Valley? I mean, I think, you know, it's very aspirational. A lot of people probably would love to do it. It can't be that easy.
1: So when I finished my PhD program, I had never heard of a venture capitalist.
0: Congratulations. No. I'm I, uh,
1: I had started a small education company mm-hmm. because I knew eventually I wanted to develop drugs. Didn't have any drugs as a college student. So I started a small company that I, I built without any VC, without any investment money. Um, but. My secret was always just being very loud, and so I had this idea in my first job in consulting after my after my PhD. I had this idea that we could take these discoveries and turn them into traditional-looking biotech companies, but with the potential for preventative medicine. Right. And I just told everyone that I could out of it. Uh, I just told everyone that I could about it. And after about a year, friends of friends of friends, this kind of got through a network, and someone came back to me and said, "Hey." We just sold a company. We think that aging is going to be the next big thing. We heard that you're the guy to talk to. And that spiraled into an opportunity to move to Germany uh, and start that fund with these two amazing guys, Niels Rega and Ola mm-hmm. Mensching, uh, so who are my partners.
0: Talk about uh, Cambrian right now. First of all, sort of the genesis of this, and you've got some exciting drugs in development too. But let's start with yeah. the beginning.
1: So, Cambrian, we started four years ago was myself and um, a successful German investor, Uh, not actually the guy I worked with before, but a guy named Christian Mm Engermeyer, who is really well known for his role in kickstarting the use of psychedelics to treat mental health disease. So he was the founder of all of those companies. And his next big thing was, how okay, if we can treat mental health with psychedelics- Now that we're
0: connected to the earth, now what? How long can we last?
1: Now can we live healthier longer? Yeah. And so Christian and I started Cambrian together with um, one of my colleagues from McKinsey um, and and originally it was very small. We had a few scientists who were going to kind of do this journey with us and, and take drugs forward from academia all the way to humans. Fast forward four years, we've been able to raise about $200 million. We have more than a dozen subsidiaries and more than 100 people working across a whole Bunch of different mechanisms that we can touch on a little bit um, at Cambrian, but the most exciting of these, there are really two stories. There's really 12 stories. Okay. But the the one most exciting story that I think is is so fun is that we are now in human clinical trials with a drug that can, at least at a high level, turn on our metabolism um, and ramp it up sort of to the levels that we experience when we're a teenager
0: so it's like we're running when we're sitting down what is it in effect we can eat more exercise less and lose weight what is the net impact of this so
1: this is where I have to be really careful right because you're in trials right? because we're in human clinical trials and I have to just like disclaimer 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 this because most of what we know about these drugs are from studies in mice and dogs and rats we're starting to get Data in humans, but most of the data we have in humans is just that it's safe to give,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? It, and that seems to be the case so far. But even that is preliminary. So this is. Uh, so it's in, a
0: molecular. You're changing something at molecular level to increase our metabolism. Is that is that it, or is it doing something else at that, this?
1: That's right. So, so with disclaimers out of the way, oh, right? Um, to get to the molecular mechanism here, there is a sensor in all of our cells called AMPK. Mm -hmm. And this AMPK sensor detects the amount of energy reserve that we have in our cells. And when we exercise, that energy gets depleted, the sensor gets turned on. And so this drug that we have, it's called ATX304, which is its code name Mm -hmm. for right now. This drug turns on that sensor even if you haven't depleted the energy levels first. And when that sensor gets turned on, it will increase the metabolism of the heart and the muscles and it will burn fat and all of these sorts of things. So just like you're saying, we've been able to give it to mice and the mice are able to uh, increase their cardiac capacity. They can run longer on a treadmill even without any training. You can put them on a high fat diet and they will lose weight and it seems to be mostly fat fat that they lose while eating more because their metabolism has amped up. That's
0: interesting. Now, one of the things about being a teenager is you also, your muscle mass, You know, the strength. Does it have, is it too early to tell whether it's actually making our bodies younger, not just slimmer?
1: So, what I will say is that there is evidence in animals that the whole body behaves better when you have regular activation of this pathway. Not just it's not just slimming down. It's not like the obesity drugs on the market today, for example. Way that weight make
0: your face look gaunt because you lose weight so quickly.
1: Exactly because that's kind of like you're fasting, right? It makes people less hungry. They eat less food. This is different because it's ramping up metabolism. It's way too early to say if what the health benefits and the effect on muscle and these sorts of things are, but it looks pretty exciting.
0: So I wanna step back a second because I think what's interesting, let's talk about the societal benefits of what you're doing. There's, you're talking about morbidity, so living better in the life that we have, living longer. This particular drug, that's that's one of many, but let's talk about this drug right now. The target market would be what, like aging boomers, would all of it, like young people so that they can just keep their metabolism their whole life. Who's gonna be buying this?
1: So the secret to Cambrian uh, and the way we've been, made it, we've been able to make it work as a drug development business and not just like a supplement company or something peddling anti-aging cures which we do not do, is that we go through the steps regulated by the FDA and the European Medicines Agency and all of these drug regulators to treat specific conditions. and Those specific conditions can include obesity, they can include cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease, like diabetes and kidney disease and liver disease. These are all sort of lifestyle diseases that can yeah. be mitigated with proper exercise and diet. But man, it's hard to, for most people, especially people who are already sick, to stick to those regimens. So that's, the, that's where we will start and then once you've got a toehold there and you're on the market or you've really shown that it's efficacious in people in clinical trials, then it's sort of a sky's the limit conversation
0: mm-hmm.
1: where we can identify, all right, well, who else could benefit from this drug? Would you and I benefit from it?
0: Why, how yes, could I we, would. How
1: could we measure yeah, that, okay. right? And those are further clinical trials that we can do. The thing that I love about doing drug development versus just building a company that goes and sells stuff is that we have to justify every single claim that we make so if we ever say oh this is something that you and i should take that future happens it will be based on large placebo controlled randomized clinical studies that we and our doctors can look at and say yep that's having a real positive effect on our biology on our health and then let's do it
0: you know traditionally with drug development and especially entrepreneurship it's a two-track system, right? you've got the speed of policy and regulation, which is very slow, and then the speed of technology, which especially now can be very yeah. quick. How, is that a frustration for you, or are you somehow navigating the system faster than others?
1: I don't know if we're doing it that much faster than, than others. It's certainly a slow game. right? Building drugs to go from the discovery, like when, when an idea is a twinkle in a scientist's eye, to the point that the first drug is approved, is something like 15 to 20 years of work. It is a massive time and money investment to get that 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 way. Luckily, uh, we live in a system where that risk and time and entrepreneurship can be rewarded for investors that are patient, for companies that work hard and do the best that they can to work with regulators. that allows us to take these really long-term bets and have a very high bar for evidence before we go on to you, the market. Which
0: is what big pharma, right? Like the pipeline, and ma- so is it easy to make money now? Or, or
1: well, is easy that a sensitive a, topic? Easy is a big word.
0: Okay, right? but, but are you- It is
1: possible, okay. what I would say. So there are a group of specialized investors that have the long-term thinking to think about the risks as well as the upsides for something like specialized drug development and biotech, the overall returns in this area are as good or better than in the tech space. But the companies like Cambrian look very different, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're spending lots and lots on R and D. We don't spend anything on marketing. We don't spend anything on like acquiring customers or Facebook ads. All of our money is No on tiny
0: purple pill ads on TV. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's all research and development. Yeah. And it's all to generate this data in placebo-controlled trials. And then once you've got that data, then there are long-term plans. There's pharma that you could, big pharma companies that you can work with. You can work with more longer-term investors. You can take the company public. There's all of these other options for getting onto the market.
0: This drug you just mentioned. So people are watching like, I love it, I want it. Do they have to wait 20 years to get it?
1: Thankfully, it's not 20 anymore. So what's the, what's
0: the likely timeline for a drug like this?
1: So this is the one where you know, I have to again be oh, very super careful. careful. Caveats.
0: We're not sure. This is so, but perhaps So how the long trial will take.
1: that we're running now is called a phase 1b trial. And so this drug has been in about 150 human patients already to test to screen for safety and interactions with other drugs and so on. And
0: you're finding good results
1: so far? Okay. It looks quite good. Um, The the trial that we're doing now is the first one where we'll be testing it in pre-diabetic, overweight, and obese people to see if we can correct metabolic dysfunction, but also to test, broadly, safety uh, Mm -hmm. for people who are on it for a longer time. After that trial, we have at least two more that we will need to run before the drug can go on the market. So we're talking, broadly, second half of the
0: 2020s. So we're at this dawn of, an, not even dawn, but we're in this new era of innovation with generative AI and just a lot of the tech. How is that impacting what you do? Because it would seem to be able to speed up at least some of the data analysis.
1: That, that's definitely true. And I think com- the technology broadly, AI specifically, is impacting our business in the drug development world at almost every level. So Cambrian is not an AI company, right? But We are a technology literate company, and that means that we incorporate AI to do optimization of drugs uh, before we're ever putting them into humans. We use it to find and screen patients by finding the patients who are best fit who are best fit for our, our clinical trials. We use it to identify key areas where we should kind of match the drug to a disease. All of these tools are now available to us using these. Um, advanced computational mechanisms, and so that's plugging in all across a very complex business.
0: Has the FDA or Washington are they starting to speed up as well the way they have for, for example, um, unique diseases? They fast track certain medications. Will they do that for aging and obesity?
1: So we are just beginning to talk with our regulators about something that's not necessarily uh, not necessarily aging, right? But. Instead, what we put under the broader banner of preventative medicine. Mm -hmm. I think we're at the cusp of living in a world where we don't just react to disease as a healthcare system, which is extremely expensive. We know that like dollar for dollar, the American healthcare system is worse than any other developed economy. And a big reason for that is that we wait for people to get sick and then try to do something about it, which is the least cost effective way of approaching it. So if we could use novel medical technologies to prevent people from getting sick and invest in that systematically across FDA, but as well as Medicare and Congress and so on, there could be a push for preventative medicine that would not just benefit folks like us working on the biology of aging, but also vaccines and antibiotics and even behavioral interventions, mental health interventions. Um, And I think that's the push that's gonna define the next. Half of this i, I
0: want to get back to this kid who was watching his grandfather die very painfully of cancer is this the vision that that is this realizing the vision you had then or has your sort of vision and mission changed
1: it's honestly been you know almost a straight line approach from that from that point it's been more than 20 years now and and when i was a teenager I said to myself, I'm going to figure out how to build medicines that can prevent, not just treat disease, and keep people alive and happier and healthier with their families longer. And we're closer to that than we have ever been. Um, and now that those discoveries are coming into humans, it's so exciting.
0: Can, can I talk a little bit, just before we end the philosophical questions around um, almost culpability, like the way we sometimes pathologize lifestyle issues. Mm. So let's take obesity. I mean, eat less, exercise more. Like we know that there are lifestyle changes that are very difficult for humans to make, but when you give somebody a drug, sometimes Mm. it feels like it's something that's stopping you from doing the behaviors that will make you live longer. Will that, do you think about that?
1: So this is something I think actually a lot about. And I wanna maybe start by looking at the flip side of this, which is I think you can say, hey, obesity is a disease. But the flip side of that is almost like victim blaming to say, hey, you are obese and it is your fault.
0: That's true. Right? That because you're not doing
1: these things. And so the way that I tend to look at it is that evolutionarily, humans were programmed to be lazy, feast and, and and feast as much as we could, right? Because we didn't know when the next meal was coming. So we would eat everything, especially sweet, tasty things loaded with, with calories. Um, We'd eat everything that we could, and then we would program our bodies to not spend that energy and not want to spend that energy if we didn't need to. And so that's our evolutionary programming. And so the fact that we can use modern technology now that we know for most of us that the next meal is going to be around the corner if Mm -hmm. we want it to be less voracious and program our metabolism to be okay with spending energy, I feel like you could frame this from a philosophical perspective as like, Updating our wetware, our biology to match with the modern age that we're living in, and I think that's a more positive and future-focused way yeah. of framing this. And what we see from, for example, the obesity drugs that have come out is that when people start losing weight, they feel better, they can move more, they have less pain, they actually exercise more. Yeah. yeah. And I think that as we talk about other ways, maybe even ones with fewer side effects, um, that move forward, I expect you'll get people who will end up eating better and moving more as a result of changing their biology to be more matched with the modern era. That's my optimistic take.
0: So is there anything else on, on your radar right now you'd want to put on ours?
1: Oh, about a million get? things. Um, the last one that, I'm, that I would mention, which is not the, the drug we've been talking about, but the best performing medicine for extending healthy lifespan in mammals, and this is in mice where it's been shown. It's a drug called rapamycin. It's an FDA. Rapamycin. Yeah, it's an FDA approved drug, but it's approved for suppressing the immune system and as a cancer treatment and as an epilepsy treatment, and it has a lot of side effects. And so one of the clinical trials that we're almost ready to start is that we have the first version of this class of drugs that rapamycin is in that seem to maintain all of the positive effects but have pulled out the negative effects so we might be able to use them safely in humans. That's obviously a big TBD, but those human trials will start as early as next year.
0: It's exciting, very exciting. Thank you for joining us. I look forward to continuing the conversation.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: This was fun. Great.